Hey there, thanks for pressing play. My name is Andy Last, and this is the show where I interview artists who make really kick-ass electronic music. We're talking chill wave, 80s revival, new wave, outrun, new disco, dream wave, soundtrack, synth pop, just awesome retro stuff, and a whole bunch of other cool shit. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I think it's going to be pretty cool. This is Beyond Synth. was uh, just a little bit of the song Sure Thing off the album Calico Brawn by Ogre, and uh, I have Ogre on the show today, a.k.a. Robin Ogden, and uh, we had a conversation over Skype uh, because obviously he is in England and I record this show in Canada, so I thought um, I'd just take a quick second here to tell you what this show is. Uh, because there's a lot of places on the web where you can hear uh, hear the music, but I really wanted to do a profile and and profile individual artists because there's this whole scene of uh, synthwave, you know, 80s revival music going on. It's really cool. It's been going on for a while. I am admittedly new to it, uh, but I'm so happy that it exists. Uh, my whole life, I've always, you know, I tell people I like electronic music, but really it was sort of this scene I was sort of waiting to to come back and. And it's really cool. There's a lot of artists doing some really impressive music. And uh, I'm also treating this this show as sort of a learning experience for myself. I love discovering new artists doing this type of music. I love hearing what they have to say. You know, I think we're all inspired by a particular time. And I think we, uh, we could have uh, some fun conversations. And it also gives, you know, maybe people in the Synthwave community a chance to hear what the other artists are saying. I know a lot of us maybe just have relationships digitally, you know, through Twitter or chats or something like this. And I think it's a fun way to sort of get to know the people making this awesome music. And I just love this music. So it's just fun for me to meet people who are, uh, who are making this kind of stuff and talk to them and hopefully uh, find more people who are making it. And that's, uh, and that's pretty much it. So I think now we'll just go to the interview I had with the OGRE himself, Robin Ogden. I'm here with uh, Robin Ogden, who is the man behind Ogre and um, Monster Monster as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Although it's kind of been on the back burner now for a little while. Uh, Ogre, now, do you say that like the mythical creature? I, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I thought originally went with the OGRE thing, uh, but it's a bit sort of 90s uh, <laughs> <laughs> or something. Uh, yeah. But I don't, no, I don't know. Like, everyone else seems to say Ogre, I think. Not that I've really met anyone. <laughs> See, I don't, all, all my mates seem to say Ogre. Are you happy about that? Or? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I don't know, it's not really too much of an issue. I think, yeah, originally it was sort of like some sort of portmanteau of uh, my initials, basically. Right. I thought, oh, this sounds cool. It's got two syllables. Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll just start this off by saying sort of how I came across your music because it it's really cool, and so I'm gonna kiss your ass for a little bit at the start here, <laughs> which is fine. It's good for anyone's uh, <laughs> good for anyone's ego. But yeah. I when I found the whole scene on Bandcamp and stuff, and I found uh, Calico Braun, and I have listened to the other ones too, and they are good as well. I'm focusing on this album in particular, uh, just because it's it's the first one I heard when I first discovered your music, and uh, right off the bat uh, with uh, "Always Outnumbered, Never Outrun," which has such um, just has such a great energy to kick off the album. I think probably my favorite track is "Sure Thing." I know I mentioned that to you on Twitter. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm very flattered. No, like that yeah. song. I'm not much of a dancer, uh, but there's some. 
there's something about that song. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It makes me want to move. I don't know why, but it. I think the reason why I love the sort of synthwave stuff so much is a lot of my favorite movies and stuff are games and things from the 80s. And so I always, all these images kind of pop into my head. So with this one, I picture some sort of 80s video with some sort of synchronized dancing kind of stuff going on. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see that. I could see that going. <laughs> uh, apart from that, now I listened to... Um, your other work and you've got quite a mix there from you know uh chip tunes and there's i've heard some like some ambient stuff with orchestral sounds and some dubstep yeah why did you choose this particular sound for for calico braun well basically like well I, I, it all started with chip tune that was the the big thing about it must have been like five five six years ago now my friend showed me what, what chip tune was all about and making music with old video games consoles and pulse waves and all of these sort of things. Um, that was my calling for a while. It's like making like trance and stuff. But then um, I ended up going to a load of dubstep gigs basically down where I was at university. And that sort of took over in a big way for me. It was before, it just before it sort of hit in, in a big way in the UK. So it was all sort of really dark raves and stuff. But <laughs> it was a bit way before Skrillex and uh, all the jump up sort of things. So I saw like... TC and I, I saw a live dubstep group which was pretty cool. That went on for a while and I started producing that and you know sort of bass oriented music and it got to a point where I did some remixes for people and played out a lot, played with quite a lot of people who I really admired and then I don't know it sort of hit saturation point in terms of production and I was like I'm not really enjoying this anymore because everything has to be so polished and has to be, you know, the whole loudness war and your music has to be brick walled this loud and all of that sort of stuff here. And uh, basically I thought, well, I'd started to put in bits of 80s bits. I've always loved hardware kit. I've, I've been collecting all sorts of old keyboards and rack bits for a while. And kids' keyboards. I used to do lots of circuit bending with like anything I could find at a car boot sale. So it was just me and a soldering iron for a while, <laughs> while making disgusting noises. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so after after that, it was, yeah, the 80s thing, I, I put some bits and some tracks, like, I don't know, just with, like, old synths, and then it just sort of became a calling. I don't know, I've always loved, like, Blade Runner and Vangelis, and... Is it Vangelis or Van, Vangelis? You know what? I think it's Vangelis. I've never heard... I say Vangelis, but yeah. I think it's Vangelis, and I've never I, heard... I think it might be Vangelis. I've heard no one say it out loud. No, <laughs> it doesn't come up in conversation that often, really, I guess, but... Um... Yeah, because the other one, when I when I first discovered this stuff was going on, it was because I was listening to a video game soundtrack for a, a game called Ho uh, Hotline Miami, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the one song that sort of stuck out on that one was... And I don't know how to say his name. Is it Perturbator or Perturbator? I don't know that word. Yeah, we, we were having a debate about this the other week. I think <laughs> it's some sort of chat window. Right. Um, yeah, uh, that was, yeah. I think it was, I think it's, I don't, I don't even want to say it now because I get it wrong. But yeah. uh, I'll, I'll, be the, I'll be the guy to take the fall for all of those stupid things. <laughs> I'll say, I don't know. It's one of those two. It's, I know it's a word, but it's a word I've never used in my life. Maybe it's one of those words that has a different uh, European pronunciation than North American. Yeah, so. maybe, yeah maybe. But yeah, yeah. Um, so it sort of yeah. just progressed into 80s synth stuff. And I did an album. It was originally a sort of a period music portfolio piece after I'd OD'd on a Blade Runner basically last summer. Mm -hmm. I was writing a dissertation and, I don't know, needed some break. Uh, from it, so I just started producing this 80s sort of soundtrack, and that sort of spiraled into 18 tracks. And yeah, that it, it, it was pretty well received, bizarrely, because it's pretty esoteric, really. Like, I've made some sort of weird concept album, uh, <laughs> to do with you know, yeah, 80s film, sci fi film soundtracks, and sort of post war architecture, which I think, yeah, that's that was the other thing with that one is where I live, it's like it's a weird mix of weird brutalist concrete structures with like really old nice buildings so right 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 that definitely played a part of it but uh yeah calico Braun was like basically od i get but it was on miami vice i I watched miami vice a bit before but um winter here was pretty bleak so i, I don't know i needed some sun in my life yeah. so <laughs> i yeah i watched all five series back to back and i was like man jan hammer is pretty damn awesome i invested in a load of digital 80s rack mount gear which is going real cheap at the moment because 
everyone wants the versions with the keyboards. So that was basically it, and just tried to channel a bit of him into it, I guess. But you know, there's, there's always bits of modern bits that sort of slip in, even when trying to do sort of 80s bits. I don't know. When you um, are, are making, say, you sit down to say, make an album or whatever, do you create, like, as far as the sound goes, like whatever you're feeling in the moment, or do you, do you sit down and say, I'm going to do a specific... Like, say you're going to do a chiptune thing, would that be a conscious, like, I'm going to do a chiptune album, or do you do it because at that moment you're just into those sounds? I think it really, really depends, like, because a lot of the music I I write for a living at the moment, like, I'm I'm a composer for bits of visual media or whatever. Obviously, then you're working to a brief, say someone will say, like, oh, I need... That I, I don't know, yeah, for example, I need a chiptune track. I need something, you know, reminiscent of old school video games and you go okay i can do that but like if i'm just writing for my own pleasure and my own stuff then it just tends to be i'll sit down and just jam basically on a keyboard until something comes together and i'll just keep doing that over and over i get stuck i start a new track and it rolls over so i end up working on about sort of 10 tracks at a time right (laughs) on the side you know some ideas get axed you know they'll never see the light of day but it's sort i think with albums and stuff it's more sort of like pulling together bits that work well together and um, oh, that sounds pretty stupid but <laughs> and obvious but uh, mm. yeah and then sort of finding a common theme or flow between them and I don't know, sometimes the palette of sounds will be you know very similar but you know yeah there's always a few curveball-y bits that I don't know I try and put on stuff but uh, before I just uh, you mentioned circuit bending what is what is circuit bending Oh, basically, yeah, you get an old keyboard or something that doesn't really matter about or something that doesn't cost very much. So like, it used to be around, like, yeah, car boot sales and charity shops and stuff. And it'd always be, like, really odd or old, you know, electronic instruments mm-hmm. that aren't very precious. Like, I don't know, I've got a ton of, like, old Yamaha and really bad Casio keyboards, but not, not the sort of nice ones. And you'd open it up and you'd need, like, a jeweler screwdriver and a crocodile clip. And you'll turn it on and you'll place this around the circuit board until it starts distorting the uh, sound or making really cool sort of aleatoric noises that you wouldn't get otherwise. And then you'll like solder in a, that bridge between those two points on the circuit board and maybe put a switch on or whatever. And it gets, it get, you can get pretty into it. But yeah, I used to make all of my, well, not all of them, but most of my dubstepy bass noises or whatever by, by doing that. So <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing. There's a whole culture like built around circuit bending. Did you uh, now? Did you did you say you were doing a dissertation on Blade Runner? Did I hear oh, that? Oh no, uh, the dissertation was on Transformers. Oh. <laughs> it, it got pretty far out, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good excuse to sit down and watch God knows how many hundred episodes of them. Or, uh, well, it is a it's it's funny because uh, once the whole resurgence happened with with all the old shows coming out on DVD. Yeah, and I finally got to rewatch Transformers, and and they had the box set, and I I love that show, but I forgot how how poor the animation is. Yeah, I did a whole thing about it. Yeah, how how many frames just keep getting reused, and all the sound design is stolen from like Star Wars and all sorts. I I seem to notice when I was listening to it, I heard a couple sound effects that I think were from Doctor Who. Yeah, definitely. I I know that the. Uh, I, that cartoon must be running at like four frames a second, and I believe in every episode the wrong voice comes out of one of the Transformers. Yeah, I think yeah. that happens like in every one. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. There's so many animation sort of bloops. So what exactly was the dissertation about? Uh, that was about ecology and the environment and Transformers. It got yeah, it was pretty <laughs> out there, you know. <laughs> I was basically arguing the Decepticons are misunderstood eco-terrorists. And, uh, <laughs> and the Autobots are champions of uh, industry and industrialization and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. So um, then... The, the road less traveled in academia, <laughs> I think. Uh, I still, to this day, love the season three version of the theme song. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. That's my, fa- it, that's my favorite one. And I like the movie, the movie soundtracks also. As well, I mean, that, I mean that's actually coming back to eighty synth stuff. Uh, Vince Dicola, his his music's pretty awesome, and he did all the Rocky. He did Rocky Four as well. Yeah, yeah. So. Rocky Four has got some. <laughs> the sequence where uh, the robot comes out to wish Polly a happy birthday. 
I'd forgotten about that. And the, the music, uh, the music's great. I mean, the music, the like the score stuff in Transformers the movie is good. I was never a fond of the soundtrack. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's some uh, weird Al Yankovic's on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's Which a is, yeah, not choice. dare to be stupid dance number that uh, I don't know. That's yeah. w- that's one of those things that sort of frustrates me a bit because when people remember Transformers, they always sort of point to the the theme song from the film and all the stuff that happens in the movie. But I, I just remember always really thinking like the season three song was cooler. Like it was just it just had such a cool sound to it. I I, I like it all. Uh, it's all pretty weird. The sound design, though, like the actual transforming noise, that's like oh yeah, yeah, pretty heavy duty. Like I've I've seen so many people try to reproduce it, but no one really knows how it was done. It's quite yeah. interesting. It's just one of those weird, it's a bit like a Wilhelm scream. No one, <laughs> no one really knows where it came from. Or no one. See, that's a that's another one of those things because I don't know much like technical things about sound, but I I do uh, like I video edit and I've done some sound mixing and stuff and. And sound design is something that I'm very aware of, even if I don't fully understand technically what's happening. Yeah. And the Wilhelm scream is one of those things that needs to stop, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a cliche. It was fun. It was fun pointing it out when I was a kid and finding the movies where it was. But now it seems to be in every... Anytime there's any sort of blockbuster of any kind, there's a Wilhelm scream. Yeah. And I just find it distracting, especially in, like, the Lord of the Rings movies and the extended editions, there's actually, like, two Wilhelm screams per <laughs> film. You've got to wonder whether it's just the sound guy going, man, how many of these can I slip in without anybody uh, noticing before it actually premieres or something? Yeah, at this point, I'm getting the impression that it's, like, a rite of passage, like, of a sound yeah. editor who, you know, is because I'm I'm very sensitive to sound effects that get reused. So in movies, whenever there's a cat... Whenever a pot breaks, it's always the same sound. Yeah. Like there's a there's a CD you can buy with like eight cat meows, and those are like the eight cat meows that they've been using <laughs> since like the 60s. Yeah, people need to go out and do some field recording or something today. So you mentioned on your on your bio, and we were just talking about this that you are classically trained. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to stay. I don't know, it helps in, in terms of writing music and knowing what works. I think it means you work a lot faster. Well, maybe, I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of classical musicians who I've met and know, a lot of them don't write their own music. They, they, they can play things perfectly by rote or whatever, but if you actually ask them to have a jam or, or something, they won't, or they, maybe they could if they actually tried or whatever. But maybe, maybe I just know a very limited sphere of people who are into classical music but <laughs> that has been pretty helpful i mean knowing how to orchestrate and stuff that's really useful it's all i don't regret it. i didn't enjoy any of it at the time i absolutely hated piano lessons mm-hmm. really hated singing beyond all measure but yeah looking back now i'm kind of glad really <laughs> but, yeah. D- does that sort of do you think that it's a trend that gives you that that appreciation for like the technical, like I read your um, the liner notes that come with Calico Braun. Oh uh, yeah, there's some stuff there that's you know it's over my head technically. I can tell by the way you write that it sounds like you enjoy writing. Uh, I don't know. I don't write very often now. I guess with the English degrees, probably maybe I don't know. I I, I was doing some roundups on my blog, just you know, good free plugins and stuff for people to check out. And I did a few tutorials. So that's sort of. It's been a really hectic fortnight. The, yeah, the past few weeks have been pretty mental. Right. So it, they, it sort of tapered off, but I want to try and start it up again. But yeah, I do quite, I do quite like writing about musicy bits, I guess. I think the, the, the technical thing is a weird, there's a difference between sort of technical proficiency of, of an instrument or whatever. And then sort of pr- the whole production side is just like another, another thing altogether, really. Like the two cross over, because if you could instrument, a piece well then it means mixing down is a sort of a lot easier because mm. like everything's already sitting in its right space in terms of frequencies and stuff so but yeah production was something i got into quite late really i guess i don't know i didn't really know anyone when i was growing up who had like a computer which could run <laughs> run music software or whatever right 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 so and even then, even when I started the chip tune stuff, that was just all hardware gear. Like, actually, I, I got a, um, I was, in, I was in a load of bands and stuff. So I bought this Korg Electrobe, which is like a blue box, which you can write synth on and drums. And it was basically just a keyboardist because I played guitar in all these bands or whatever. 
we used it for backing bits for the band and then that sort of fell apart and I was like, man, I've got this blue box I don't really know what to do with and I started using that to sequence electronic music and that was probably the, the way into it. And then, yeah, so that was all sort of hardware bits. Always been hardware orientated. It took me ages to actually switch over to just writing music on a laptop but even then I'm like, oh, I'd rather play it in or actually make a sound on a hardware synth as opposed to clicking with a mouse until you got the right noise. Right. How would how would the process be? I know anything that I've ever made, I've just I use like really cheap <laughs> software. I use like Fruity Loops and stuff to to make things, but it's all completely digital, you know, with like a MIDI keyboard. When you're you're saying like with the stuff that you make that you still uh, do it with analog keyboards and stuff or have you switched to using plugins and stuff? It's probably about 50/50 now. Um yeah, I mean like yeah, for the 80s stuff, it's generally I mean, obviously, it's all still MIDI because a lot of well, with like I've got I've got a rack sat here on my desk, which is just like some like digital eighty synths. And I think I said before that they're pretty unpopular at the moment, so now's the time to buy mm-hmm. <laughs> digital eighties rack mount synths if people are into it. And you get some really good sounds out of them. They can get pretty complicated because you're programming in on like a two by sixteen LCD <laughs> screen or whatever, so you can get pretty tedious. Or you could sync it up by MIDI and sort of get the MIDI to program it and use the computer, but I don't know, it sort of takes the fun out of pushing buttons. So Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's about fifty fifty though. So I'll write the MIDI in on a computer, I'll play it in with a MIDI keyboard and then either source that MIDI out to a synth and feed the audio back in. So I've got like some some audio to play around with or, you know, yeah, the other half is sort of uh, there's a couple of plugins I always keep going back to, which make sort of uh, 80s vibes, I guess. They're pretty, pretty nicely lended to it. But they're all quite simple. I think as, as far as like, yeah, as you're saying like Fruity Loops and stuff, it doesn't matter what you use. You'll get the same result pretty much with, you know, any any door. Do you compose stuff first or do you just play? Um, kind of depends. I think drums I tend to sort of sit down and write, but then... Um, they either come first or they come last, depending on anything else. But yeah, it's usually just jamming on a keyboard until something comes together. And then, there's, there's a, yeah, there's a nice sort of interplay between actually playing and then tweaking a synth or whatever to get, you know, a sound. And then that will influence how you're playing a riff or chord sequence or something. And then it sort of all comes together. It's kind of it's kind of an organic way of writing music, I guess, because like, with all the dubstep stuff I used to write, and that was all sort of just, it's all pretty much one note through the song, just played by different synths, going at different <laughs> rates and stuff. So that's just like clicking with a mouse. And the drum patterns are always the same. And it's kind of nice to write stuff that isn't just four to the floor or right. half-time rhythms or whatever. So, yeah. When when you try and capture that sort of 80s sort of sound, do you find it's easier to start with the beat or start with the chords or whatever? It sort of depends. I'll tend to... It goes one of two ways. Either I sort of start with the drums and I'll just write down a beat and I'll choose a palette of sounds either from like some drum machines or um, now you can synthesize your own basically with white noise or a sine wave or whatever and build it from there. And then I used to layer up the drums a lot so you had you could make more distinctive sounds, but I've sort of gone back a step and sort of stripped it back to keep it simple really. Or, you know, use samples from other projects like older versions or whatever and tweak them a bit but yeah build it build like a palette of drum sounds and find you know just jam along find some complementary synths or it goes the other way exact opposite where i'll start with a synth or a bass line or something some sort of hook and then sort of build it up from there but yeah dr- drums are pretty important now i reckon obviously sort of the backbone along with the bass line and the interplay between them needs to be pretty tight right right usually, usually i mean there are no steadfast rules or whatever, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> this might be a cliche question, but uh, w- uh, who or what would you say are your biggest uh, musical influences? Oh, and that's a heavy, <laughs> that's a heavy hitting question. Um, <laughs> this one was written for me by a robot. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. Growing up, it was all sort of virtuoso guitarists. Um, stuff so like Steve Vai was one of them so I think that influenced the music in a lot of ways even now like I always think of things uh, modally instead of just sort of playing a straight scale or whatever like there's that whole aspect to it with the 80s I guess Steve Vai is kind of 80s really he was in Dave Lee Ruff's group but um, yeah in terms of 80s stuff I know John Carpenter he's pretty 
pretty awesome. And Van Vangelis or Vangelis, as we've already said, <laughs> he's got to be up. Uh... I'll I'll beep out the one that's wrong. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's not something I really think about very often. I just sort of hear music and go, oh, I really like it, or sort of leave it. I think it's probably easy to say sort of rather than name specific names, sort of just. I'm really into things with groove, like in a big way. Lots of syncopated rhythms and stuff. I got really into glitch harp about two years ago. I think that's starting to seep in now. I've been writing some stuff recently that's sort of like, I don't even know if it's very 80s anymore because mm. I don't know, I don't know if I'll release it, but it's been fun to do. It's sort of really sort of glitchy bits, but with 80 synths or weird syncopated bits, but. I've used a plugin before that was like a glitch plugin. Yeah. Where it all sort of like randomizes the thing and there's, you know, like flanging and all sorts of weirdness cutting in. Yeah, this is sort of like real syncopated. Things don't fall bang on the beat and they shuffle and there's a real sort of groove. I don't know, a couple of guys like Cohen Sound, they're pretty glitch hoppy. Like they're sort of like bass music again. It's a guy called, I think, Upio or Opio. I don't know how to pronounce it again. <laughs> um, but I think he's from, I can't remember now. I want to say Australia, but I don't want to offend any, I don't want to offend him. Not that he'll probably listen, you yeah. know, because he's pretty famous. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah, he, that, their stuff's pretty tight. I just think uh, I've got a little bit tired. I mean, I really like droney synths and stuff and like bam, 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 bass lines and stuff where it's really ostinato. But I want to do something that's a bit more groovy right now maybe it's just the mood i'm in at the moment like i'll change it's kind of warm at the moment and a little bit sunny so <laughs> give, it a, give it a couple of weeks when it starts raining again in england i'll be back on the dystopian synth vibe i imagine <laughs> i'm new to the whole kind of Bandcamp soundcloud thing like i've just yes. sort of discovered i know i'm late to a party that started a while ago but um when when i started searching for it now i see that uh, you know like you and other artists i've listened to have their work on on both sites. And I'm wondering what the advantage is of either one, because when I look at Bandcamp, I see an interface that just makes more sense. Like it just seems yeah. like, but, but I don't know what, what the, well, like what's the point of, of SoundCloud versus Bandcamp? I mean, SoundCloud used to be really, really good, like about four or five years ago, but they've recently redone it all. I just think it looks cluttered. I really like the minimalism thing they had before where it was just like, you can stream the music, it worked, people could comment or favorite or whatever, and it was just a really good platform. And then they basically got influxed with spam and then third party bits got involved and it got really complicated. <laughs> Bandcamp is basically, I think it's a way forward in terms of music and stuff. So obviously it's direct to fan, you know, stuff in terms of sales and you actually support the artist, which is pretty cool compared to stuff like iTunes or whatever where you get I don't know, a real sliver after distribution costs and everything else. Right. Plus you can stream it all for free and people can offer things for free download if they want. And yeah, I, I like Bandcamp. I think it's really cool. Just really nice layout. I like graphically pleasing websites, I always think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I know when I started, like, when people were posting links to SoundCloud, and I would go to that site, and it just looks like nonsense to me. It's all waveforms and, and little squares on the waveform where people are commenting, and it just seems just like a mess. Yeah, it used to, it used to be a lot clearer. It just used to be, you know, straight up, like, you got you still had the waveform thing, but because it, the whole page wasn't cluttered with, you know, other things, it looked really nice, it was really minimalist, and it really... It sort of worked. It did, and a lot of sound recordists and like you know people who do field recordings and stuff would use it and just sort of share their sounds, which was really nice. You could, I think, the person who's, I don't know if she, I don't know if she was some sort of high position person in bank in um, SoundCloud rather, and she said like you know you look at a picture from a holiday or something, you know you could sort of see the picture, but if you take a recording of your holiday at that moment and play it back with a picture, then it will conjure more memories. So a lot of people used to use it for that, and then it sort of got inundated with all sorts of stuff, and it got, I don't know, yeah, it just got cluttered, and then the actual design of the site got cluttered, and I don't really use it anymore, unless someone sort of personally recommends a link, or I see something uh, I think I might like, I guess, but I used to sit and browse SoundCloud for hours. I find all sorts of cool people, but it's still a bit of a MySpace, really, I think. Um, I wanted to uh, talk a bit about your album, 194, so I thought I would just uh, play a little quick sample from it, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it after.
And that was just a bit of the song uh, 2019 off the album 194. So yeah, tell me tell me a bit about this album. Uh, yeah, that was a real sort of soundtrack attempt to sort of capture. Like, it was very Blade Runner-y, if that's a term. Yeah, John Carpenter, bits of synths and stuff. It was really unfortunate because just as I'd sort of finished producing it, I discovered an album called Drock by uh, Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. Uh, so Jeff Barrow from Portishead, but then but they've done something very similar. <laughs> like, um, did you did you mention that on a blog post? I feel like I followed a link to that and I listened to it. It was very, it was like it was minimal, right? Yeah, Drucks really cool. It's like um, all inspired by 2018 and Judge Dredd and stuff. I think they were originally going to do. It was originally part of a soundtrack to the Dread 3D film. But yeah, that was real John Carpentry as well. But uh, yeah, real minimal sort of. Just one open Oberheim synth going and then white noise and stuff. It was, it was pretty cool. I think it was one of those things that people either really liked or really didn't like or right. something. I, don't know. I love that uh, with with 194, you were selling red cassette tapes. I uh, tapes. I dubbed each one <laughs> by hand. So how did you get, like, where did those come from? There's a couple of dealers of tapes in the UK, and I think they've just bought up, like, as much tape as they possibly can. So colored cassettes are a bit of a rarity as far as I'm aware. Um, I was going to do some for Calico Braun, but I couldn't find the right shade of orange or blue. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> tape sales are actually up by quite a lot at the moment, Like along with vinyl, obviously. But tape seems to have gone through some sort of weird cassette revival. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, I still listen to tapes. I bought quite a few like synthwave people's cassettes no not many people do it really still but Bandcamp does have a cassette chart so it's kind of worth checking out and you know they're, they're, they're pretty cheap to buy and cheap for the artist to make because uh, unless like you ask for a very specific sort of length of tape to be loaded in the shells or um you want a specific color it's not actually that expensive to release onto tape apart from the only thing it takes the longest thing is dubbing them yourself if you're going to go that route because <laughs> uh, I was one nine four. It was like I can't remember how long the album is. Now. It's like forty four minutes. There's a lot of there's a lot of short. I noticed that when I looked at it because it was like you have a lot of tracks on that album, but they're yeah. but they're very they're not. I mean, I don't think th- there may be one that's over three minutes. Yeah, they're all quite sort of short vignettes. Yeah, the whole con- one of the concepts behind it was sort of like film soundtracks. So each one maybe just a cue or a scene. Right. Stuff I was imagining as I wrote it, and then hopefully that would translate to people as they were. Uh, you know, listening and imagining similar things, maybe. But yeah, so there's a couple of thematic developments in it that sort of evolve across the album and crop up in different songs. So I think there's about three, four main themes now, thinking back. But it it seemed to work. Um, Well, I mean, it sounds great. Like, it's a really cool album. I found that, um, you know, I listened to the Drock album, but I just, I found found your arrangements, like, a bit more uh, complex. Yeah, Drock... That was pretty minimal, I guess. Like I'd put stuff like orchestral, you know, bits and bobs, and um, I don't know some of the. I put some, you know, well, beats, I guess. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like because Drock, I think it's pretty much yeah. You get sort of the John Carpenter assault on Precinct Thirteen, the right. white noisy bits. I, I I copied some of that sort of stuff. Yeah, Drock was real little, but I, I really like it. I think it's a real brutalist album so i don't know i i this is again like go back to where I, where i'm living at the moment it's just sort of like weird concrete high-rises <laughs> and like i don't know you could sort of see like post-war architecture or whatever and how it was originally designed to be sort of all municipal and utilitarian or whatever and it gets corrupted and all all of the 80s sci-fi movies seem to have some sort of crazy brutalist building <laughs> undoubtedly I, I think it sort of influenced what i was doing Especially, yeah, stark sort of minimalist stuff. That's the sort of thing I imagine with Drock as well. And, like, yeah, especially the Drock thing, you know, Judge Dredd and 2000 AD, it's all sort of high-rises and mega-blocks and mega-towers and mega-cities and all of that sort of stuff, so... And I know you've done some soundtracks for games. Uh, Tell me a bit about Actual Sunlight. Yeah, Actual Sunlight was really cool. So I got in touch with uh, Will, who's the developer of the game, basically said, would you like some music? And he said, yep. Um, he liked <laughs> 194 a lot, um, but he really wanted some sort of um, Torontonian hip hop vibes, so that's what we went with in the end. But uh, it was good, it was good fun to work on. It was 
it's two weeks turnaround for the job. Um, but it, yeah, it was really cool. It was a really cool game. It's pretty dark. It's all about depression. And has that been released? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The game's out. I haven't released the soundtrack. I don't know. I don't know if I will. Mm, I don't know if there's a demand for it really. But the game is amazing. I just don't know if the soundtrack would work without the game. If that makes sense. It was sort. Of, it was a real sort of complimentary thing. The whole idea was uh, I didn't want the music to overpower the game, and I was had to be sit just right. But I wanted them to work really tightly together because other stuff i've got a few projects i'm working on at the moment well i'm waiting for post post-production to roll around on a few that's mm-hmm. uh, why i'm writing 80s music stuff at the moment but um so yeah august is going to be a busy month that's good though uh it's good yeah it is good <laughs> um i could talk about one of them because uh, i think i've been announced as composer for it that's called passed away which is like it's going to be an interactive narrative slash story Slash comic, you know, do you remember choose your own adventure games or yes, choose yes. your own adventure books? Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, turn to page sixty-one and then you find out you're dead or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's, it's going to be like one of those. For... <laughs> that, that's how every choice ends. <laughs> near, near enough. Yeah. I had a Transformers one actually. I remember when I was little. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's um, for iPad and yeah, it looks awesome. But I'm waiting for them to build the audio engine at the moment so I can get writing. But they want specifically sort of Van Gelis style. Uh, audio bits really for it to match the aesthetics it's kind of um it's it looks a little bit like blade runner i'm not entirely sure what the plot is just yet i haven't played it but it like the visuals look phenomenal it's all illustrated and animated so when when you go into scoring for a game or sort of an interactive thing are you uh, with the people you've worked with anyways allowed to play the thing to get ideas or are you are you involved early on in the in the production process where your music is also helping shape what they do everything i've worked on so far i've come on board like either just before post-production starts or as post-production started so i haven't had like a creative input whatsoever in the game but it's just been sort of yeah complimenting what 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 the actual gameplay is or or whatever thing you know what what sort of sounds they're after and what they're looking for because I'm pretty happy to write anything at this point like anything yeah. from bebop to massive overblown orchestral bits or, or whatever but yeah the 80s stuff is just totally like that. that's a real passion but it's sort of like for downtime and whatever. it's also like really personal I guess because it's what I enjoy so mm-hmm. I mean not that I don't enjoy the other stuff either like it's a dream at the moment <laughs> you know and the EP you made the a la carte one oh yeah is uh, it's actually really awesome that first track i forget what it's called like the the first one i've forgotten as well so, so don't, feel, don't worry but um, that uh that song is awesome like it's it's got such a cool tune i'll just play a quick clip of it so people know what we're talking about It's just cool, you know, because it has that ch- it has chip tune sound, but you've thrown in like orchestral things and you've thrown in these oh, sort of yeah, big beats, yeah. and uh, and the melody of that one is really cool. Like it's a catchy little song. It was a weird one, that like EP. Um, basically, uh, there's a guy called Jimmy who runs a bar slash cafe. It's a, it's a gaming bar thing. So the idea is you go in and you you know you buy a drink or you buy uh, gaming themed cocktails. I think is the other thing. Mm. Uh, and then you can sit and play games. But he was doing a um, crowdfunding thing to open up in London because he was based down in Cornwall, which is literally the bottom left-hand side of the UK, like as far away from mm-hmm. <laughs> anything as you possibly get. So, uh, but he asked me to do an EP, and I was like, yeah. I said, you know, what do you want? He was like, you know, something sort of chip-chewy, but also 
video game soundtrack is. I was like, well, I'll just do a blend of the two and see what happens. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't know if I think it's been emailed out to people who back the campaign now. But um, yeah, I put it up as well. But yeah, no, it was really good fun to write. Only it's quite a quick turnaround. It took about a week, I think, and he was really happy with it, which is kind of what. Well, it's always fun to have those sounds. Uh, you know, there's people who do chiptunes music who who stick very strictly to the format, which is still fun. Yeah. But also, it's always it's always nice to sort of break away where you have those chiptune sounds, and it sounds like the way you start the tracks off, like they are a simple chiptunes thing, and then it sort of breaks away and becomes something like a lot more than that. Yeah, I mean, I know quite a lot of chiptune people from. I shouldn't say back in the day, but it really wasn't that long ago. Like, mm. I think chip, I mean, chip chip's still going strong in a big way. It's all over the place. In fact, it's probably more popular now than it has been. I don't know. It went through a little recession, I think, in terms of popularity <laughs> the past year, but like, it's back up now. I love the idea of the recession of chip tunes music. <laughs> yeah. The Great but, Recession. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- there was a real problem when I first started making it with like, there were real purists. And, mm-hmm. like, anything that was not made on a Game Boy or, you know, a C64 or an Atari, but that was fake bit. So, uh, lot, I mean, lots of kids and stuff would use um, YMVST and um, Magical 8-Bit and all of these plugins for, you know, doors or, or whatever and just make it in Fruity Loops or... Mm-hmm. Like people would give them so much stick and it's like, it's not really an issue, you know? It's, it's still music. There's always just something great about what people will be purists about. Yeah. It's funny to me. Like, I, I get it. Like, it, in a way, I understand both sides. But for me, it's always been about, and the reason why I like chiptunes music is because music to me is always about melody. Yeah. So w- when I try to explain people who don't understand why I would listen to video game music. I mean, obviously now it's a bit different because it, the production values are a lot more sort of lavish. But, you know, growing up with, with chip tunes, like in, in the video games, it was always about the fact that they only had these beeps and boops, so they had to make really cool tunes. Yeah, exactly. And, and to this day, those melodies are, you know, they're all in our brains and they're, they're almost stronger in a way than... Because a lot of modern video game music is more about a- atmosphere... Yeah, and I don't and, come. And you yeah. can get away with so it, yeah, sound design. You know, the, the, the line between sound design and composition gets so blurred. Whereas mm-hmm. people writing in like the eighties for you know, yeah, like they had four channels. Uh, you know, two pulse sort of channels, a tri channel, and then like a noise channel, and that was it. And you'd have to make a complete you know soundtrack for a whole game out of you know those four things. You can only have four things going on at once. So I just think like I mean, it's super cliche, but the stuff like the Mario theme tune, the amount of mileage he got out of um, oh yeah, those four channels is insane. Definitely, like with those old games, like I've got strong attachments to some of those melodies, even for games I played for like two seconds or, you know, there's just something about that sound and that time that was all. I feel the same way with movie scores now as well. Is like I like to, I mean, not that it's always appropriate, but I always like a good tune you know what i mean when you come when you come out of a movie and you have like you like the original batman theme or the superman or star whatever you know like when when you come out and you can say yeah there was a song and now that seems to not be the case anymore i I, I, there are still really cool scores yeah but it's definitely sort of a different thing that's why i've always i always gravitated towards that stuff as as a kid you know And, and i always found that it was the synth scores that had more of sort of like a melody to me like something i could hum you know yeah i do think actually at the moment um film scoring is really interesting because there seems to be you know it sort of went super overblown bombastic orchestral stuff for the past decade Mm -hmm. and then now it's sort of coming like i think of films like tron well tron was uh, awesome like that was a cool score and then um the the last batman film i mean in terms of so much of it is actually synth it mm-hmm. may sound like orchestra, but like a lot of it, like I'm not even talking sort of like, you know, romplers and like orchestral libraries and samplers and stuff. Um, right. So much of it is actual sense, but it's, it's really cool. Um, I mean, I mean, the Batman score was good. It was probably like the better thing of that film. But the uh, the score he did before for Inception. Yeah, that movie's got some f- cool music. Yeah, it really does. I do like Hans Zimmer a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty awesome. They're both Inception and, and the last Batman movie, like, it was all uh, a plugin called Zebra 2 by UHE. And I used some of their stuff 
for like because that that's all sort of geared towards analog emulations and stuff. Um, you know, if you don't have an analog sense hand, which you know not all of us do, um, and they're pretty reasonably priced. And like the freebies they have on their website are insanely good. Like it's just top-notch stuff, and it all sounds pretty genuine mm-hmm. in terms of sort of. You know, sound quality is awesome. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting time for films. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in the next few years, really. Yeah. Um, hopefully, it's a trend that will stick. I've noticed video games are sort of slowly catching up because uh, a lot of, a lot of the AAA games recently have just been emulating what the film industry is doing. And, um, there is a couple I've heard that are very good. Um, for the most part, I found that it's the same, like I was saying before, where I'm not finding um, a, a melody or, a, or like a through line that I can sort of connect to. Like the music's good. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it all sounds very nice. But there's one guy, he did um, a score for this game called Deus Ex. Uh, uh, yeah. Michael McCann, I think his name is. Yeah. And there's some really, really neat tracks on, on that soundtrack specifically. And there's also some other good ones. Oh, the the ones for Skyrim and Elder Scrolls have some good melodies as well. I haven't actually played, like, I don't have an Xbox, so it'd be too much of a distraction. Uh, but every time I sort of, my brother's got an Xbox, so when I periodically see him, you know, every six months, maybe every year, like, we catch up uh, mainly by playing Xbox. So yeah, it's yeah. good to, always to see, I sort of get a yearly roundup of what's going on yeah. uh, <laughs> in the video game industry. Yeah, yeah. But, in indie games that are very into the eighties stuff at the moment. Oh yeah, like, for sure, like, for sure. As you said, like Hollow Miami, that was pretty massive, really, and the whole soundtrack. Oh, that's a pretty killer soundtrack. Uh, I think I'm right in saying um, was it Surgeon Simulator? I think that had a eighties ish soundtrack. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. I do think with things like yeah, as we've said, like Tron and and it was special too. I think there are certain things that um, I think a lot of people do like but they don't ever say it. And I think that there's that sort of synth, and I think synth wave is part of that too, like this sort of music, and an 80s sort of music in general. It's like, people never really talk about it too much. Yeah. But I don't know, I've not met a person, despite what kind of music they like or whatever, that doesn't have fun when, like, Take On Me by AHA is playing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think it's just sort of, some sort of ingrained feel-good Exactly. You know, factor. It's not even just a pure nostalgic thing, I don't mm-hmm. think. I just think it's generally good music and a lot of 80s pop stuff. Is, it's like just great songs, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned this uh, on your site, or actually it was on your the PDF with uh, with uh, Calico Braun, that you you mastered the stuff to VHS? Yeah. <laughs> what does that do? Basically, I found, like... I did I did a similar thing with 194. I recorded all of 194 to reel-to-reel, like, to tape. Mm-hmm. Again, it's one of these things that really got me into the whole 80s thing. Is like, it doesn't have to be pristine audio quality. I mean, it can be, but I kind of prefer if I get some warmth from tape or if, with VHS, is a similar thing. Like, I found the worst sounding VHS I've probably heard that sort of, you know, it, they start to wobble over time. The mm-hmm. tape gets a bit worn out. It starts to overbias if you record a little bit too hot to it. So yeah, it was just an aesthetic thing. Like I don't know, I don't know how many people are doing it in the immediate sort of synthwave thing that I know who are like recording to tape uh, or um, or VHS or whatever. And I imagine there must be some plugins that can sort of replicate those effects. Uh, what's it called? Isotope made one. I think it's called Vinyl, and it, it will put like a vinyl crackle on, and you can HD sound of a track back um, by decade. And that basically just rolls off the treble in the bass a little bit. Right, uh, right. It, it sounds pretty good, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'd rather record the real thing if I've got the time. Did you ever see, there was a show in England, it was called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? Yes, I love Dark Place. Okay, because that, that's probably yeah one of my favorite things I've ever seen in my life. I'm wondering, because when, when I saw that VHS thing, I'm wondering if they did a similar thing, because it really sounded to me like the incidental music in that show. Yeah. That they... Uh, uh, they it's unfortunate they never released the soundtrack. Because the soundtrack is awesome, and also yeah. there was a lot of moments where they mimicked that the cheap editing, and you would hear the sound kind of wobble, and the music yeah. would like wobble under an edit and stuff like that. And that, I, that, yeah, that's that's the sort of thing I'm going for. Just because uh, Andrew Hewitt's the guy who composed um, News for Dark Place. I think he got a BAFTA nomination as best new composer because 
you know, with such good period music, such good 80s sort of music. After reading your bio, and we talked, we, well, I mean, you mentioned it briefly, but uh, that you also do stuff as Monster Monster. Yeah, I use, well, yeah, I used to, I guess. Well, why the distinction? Or was that just, you just changed it up? Well, originally, Monster Monster was like, I, well, I stopped, we started doing chiptune. It was me and another guy were making this chiptune stuff over the internet, basically. And then he dropped out. And we'd been doing sort of, it's called chip step, I guess, because it's sort of dubstep chip shoot. I really don't like the name, but um, <laughs> that was super good. And I was like, well, I'm doing all this circuit bending stuff and getting some pretty hench bass noises. So I, I don't know. It sort of just transitioned to dubstep with like eight bits things stuck in. And that went on for what, good three years or whatever. And it, you know, it was all right. It helped me out in terms of, you know, living at uni and whatever, and I got to play a lot of gigs, and I toured the country a couple of times. And it, yeah, it was really good fun. Did a lot of remixes, but it got to, yeah, it just got to saturation point, I think, and I was like, I'm really tired of having to over-polish mixes and, you know, master really, really loud and all this sort of stuff. What exactly do you do when you play live or you, you tour around? Like, when I picture people, like, making electronic music, I just picture a dude at a computer... Yeah, that was the thing. Like, I did proper live sets with uh, the sequencer and, like, all sorts of bits going, basically all synced up. Mm. So it wasn't just pressing play yeah. <laughs> on, on, on a laptop. So it was, it was fun. I did stuff live. I mean, admittedly, later on, I did just sort of start DJing as I sort of got more into the dubstep crowd because people wanted to hear other people's tracks. Right. You know, and I, it, I, I wasn't a big enough name to just play a set of my own music mm. at, like, club nights or whatever. So it was two sort of gigs, basically, end of the big. If you had, like, a live set where people came, not necessarily explicitly to see you, but, you know, you or other people on the build or maybe you're supporting someone more famous famous right or if it was just sort of you know you got booked to play in a club then that was basically djing off a laptop um mm-hmm. you know it was also fun but it, so much less demanding and also you don't have to cart all your kit <laughs> you yeah, just take yeah. one laptop and then you know jobs are good and but what would you say i know this is a terrible question but with uh what what are some of your sort of favorite tracks of yours that you've made uh i don't know i guess uh, 194, I think, is probably the album I'm most happiest with mm. ever. Like, full stop, just, I wouldn't change a thing about it. It sounded just how I wanted it to sound, which is pretty rare. Uh, but off Calico Broad, again, I'm pretty... I, I wouldn't release it if I wasn't really happy with it. Mm. But I guess my favourite track off... Uh, I'm trying to think of ones which are the most fun to write. Because I think with me, it's more often more about the sort of process of writing a track that I remember more fondly than the finished product, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I really liked the second track, the Calico Dawn one. That was that was really fun. Yeah, as I say, I mean, like, that whole album is is great. What I love, I mean, I've been listening to a lot of stuff, and there, there, there's been a lot of stuff that's been very good, but I find, and I don't know if it's because of your training or because of just, you know, how long you've been at it, but your, your albums really have, like, that full... They just sound full. You know what I mean? Like it just That's feels like kind. every every part of the speaker is is shooting music at me, and it's awesome. I do think one of the things people aren't doing is it's it's one of those things I've not got of the habit from from producing all this bass music for so many years. Is I always layer sub bass underneath all of the uh, underneath my bass line, just an octave down, mm-hmm. which I do think makes a difference because you get more control over the low end of the music, mm-hmm. and it also does mean like. It will rattle speakers if, it, if people crank it up or whatever. But I don't know if it makes it more dancey or something, but I do think it's just one of those things, really. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to, um, I know I specifically keep talking about Calico Braun. I know, like, I make things, and I know that feeling of when you you, you are artistically, you know, you make something, but someone always wants to talk about one specific thing. And oh, no, you, no, it's you, totally you, cool, don't worry. Because I know, I know that feeling, but I just, uh, like, the album is so cool, and I really like that moment. I think it's in the track Braun, you know, when it hits, like, the one-minute mark. Ah, uh, and it goes all sort of, like, groovy. Yeah, I but, love that. A lot more chilled out, yeah. And uh, and definitely, like, but the, the whole thing has such a, just a good sound and, like, a consistent sound throughout the whole thing. I think that's what I've really liked about a lot of the stuff, your stuff and, and other stuff I've found, too, is that there seems to be more of um, a consistency in people's albums that they release. In, yeah. In, in this genre, like, I'm so used to... When I was looking for electronic music, you know, before I found this whole scene, 
And there was always these albums where there was, you know, like the one good song. Yeah. And I'm not finding that to be the case with this stuff. Like, I'm really finding that these are these are like whole albums that I want to listen to. Yeah, I do know what you mean. It's it's like people, they're trying to make a cohesive sort of finished album, I guess. Because, uh, I don't know, on a lot of albums, you know, in general, there's usually a couple of filler tracks. There's very few albums that you can listen to from start to finish, but... As you say, I think a lot of people in the synthwave whole sort of thing, uh, you know, they, they must spend a lot of time curating the right tracks, finding out, you know, the track order that works best, and they all complement each other. And it does just sound like, it's a bit like a good mix, as in like DJ mix, it will take you on a journey or something like that. I think it's all about cohesion. Are there any, like, do you listen to other artists that are that are doing this stuff? Not when I'm writing music. Right. Because I tend to listen to like completely different stuff when I'm actually sort of trying to write something ATZ. But if I again, if I'm doing sort of composition work, then I'll listen to whoever really. But I guess uh, Com Trues, he's pretty pretty awesome. I really like his stuff. It's it's pretty chill. It's really sort of you've got that nice tapey hiss or whatever. Um, I, I'm all about groove on my mind. I don't know what's happened to me. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I've listened to him a bit recently. He seems like a really cool guy as well. Like bizarrely, he really liked One Nine Four, which was sort of one of those moments that it was one of, I, I sort of had to go for about four cigarettes and then sort of peel myself off the ceiling before <laughs> <laughs> before I really sunk in. But I, yeah, it's really weird when that sort of I know surreal. I think it's the word when those sort of things happen. But, right, right, right. Yep, I've got a screen cap of that tweet so <laughs> uh, for posterity. So, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. Um, well, uh, I think I think we're good. Yeah. We're good? You happy about it? Yeah, thanks, Emil. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, do you have anything coming up you want to talk about or website people should go to or any of that stuff? I can't really announce anything I've got coming up because of various embargoes yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but uh, um, you can always check out my music at ogresound.co.uk. All right. Well, Robin, thank you so much for being uh, my first guest on the show. This has been uh, this has been really cool. No, thank you very much, Andy. It's been a pleasure. All right. That was fun. That was my interview with Ogre. Of course, you can uh, check out his music on Bandcamp, also uh, his website. I'll post links to his stuff under this episode. You know, we'll be slowly updating the website. We. <laughs> I will slowly be updating the website. This is a one-man operation um, as I make more episodes. So the website's going to be pretty basic right now, the Beyond Synth website, as I work over the next coming weeks and months to sort of make it, you know, a little bit cooler. In the meantime, I really just want to focus on uh, recording episodes, uh, getting interviews, and uh, putting up content for you guys to check out. And on that note, if you are an artist making some cool music and you want to be on the show, contact me. Um, I'm at Andy Last on Twitter. Uh, you can send me a direct message or whatever. And uh, Or if you have someone you want to recommend that I should be listening to or that I should do an interview with, uh, drop me a line. I hope to talk to all of you. Um, I'm really impressed by the music that's going on right now, and I think it's super cool. And it doesn't matter to me if... You've made, you know, 10 albums or you just have one really cool single. Like, if you're making awesome music, I want to talk to you about it. And I'm going to leave it there. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any comments or feedback or suggestions uh, to improve the show, you know, uh, let me know. Obviously, you know, I am just one dude doing this thing, so there's only so much I can do. But hopefully, you know, you get something out of the program. I hope you do. I did. And, uh, yeah, cool. All right, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.